Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and Class in Session. I'm pure Scott. You know, you did infer that I was old like 10 times when you, uh, when you listened <laughs> to that song, right? <laughs> Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and today I am joined by author of Fuck It, Why Not Me, Ryan Cooper. How you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing great. How are you? Living the dream, my man. It's a good day to be on this side of the dirt. Absolutely. I let off with the name of a great book. Why don't you uh, first tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you came up with the book, that kind of thing. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Cooper, born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. I grew up there the first 18 years of my life. Then I got accepted into the Honors College at Arizona State, where I made the move from one desert to another. While I was at ASU, I wasn't big enough to play collegiate football, so I decided to pursue the business side of it. Got a degree in sports business in three and a half years. Um, then took a year and a half off from school to pursue full-time work. And now I'm back enrolled at GCU, getting my MBA, my master's in business. Aside from that, been involved with coaching as a football coach out in Glendale High School, working out in Old Town, doing various things to kind of live the entrepreneur dream. That's kind of where the book started originally. Uh, it's always been an idea for me since I've been in college. After taking a year off, uh, my my father actually passed away over uh, Sorry to hear a year that. ago. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my father passed away a year ago, and that kind of was the mark for me where I wanted to leave a legacy behind for or carry on his legacy. So I, I made it a goal of mine within the calendar year to release a book. And I actually released the book, Fuck It, Why Not Me, on the year anniversary that he passed away, kind of as a memento to him. That's very honorable to do it that way. And I'm sure he would have been very pleased and, and proud of you for uh, making that milestone. Yeah, definitely. Something I'm very proud of. The title of the book is um, it's very thought-provoking. Why don't you describe what that means to you? Yeah, it, it, I've been told by my friends and colleagues that's a very bold cover. Uh, it's a very bold title to, to name it something like that. But for me, that's, that's the mentality I've developed over time. My father especially always put it on me that I can be a leader. I didn't see that in myself until I got to college where I became president of my fraternity. And that was my first leadership, real leadership role, leading over 100 guys. And for me, it was one of those one of those things where why can't I, I do it? Why not me? Why can't I you know, have dreams and aspirations of being in the NFL one day like I had as a kid or working in the NFL? You know, why can't I start a business one day? Why not? I always ask myself, why not? Versus asking myself, why can't I? Why can't I not do that? I, I get that approach. I like it. It's a way to not give power to the inability to do something. It's can, not can't. I would also argue that the possibilities to do anything always exist, whether you do them or not. They're always there. It's a matter of whether or not you act upon them. When you act upon something, it will certainly come to fruition. When you don't and you live in the mind of the worry or the mind of the past or the mind of can't, then you will not realize dreams. Dreams don't exist without action. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. You can't be stagnant in dream. You can be stagnant in dream, but you won't make it anywhere. 
And I like that you're focusing on the fact that you can do things and that, you know, why not me? So what is it, though, that led you to believe that it wasn't you at one point? Um, that led it to the fact that it wasn't me. It was something that I honestly can't control. Uh, and I got stuck in this. Uh, my mother actually is diagnosed as type 1 bipolar. Uh, and as a lot of people know, it is a hereditary disease. Uh, and it got passed down to me. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, it, I've got it as well. Yeah, I, I figured that out when I was 21 years old uh, in college. I had my first manic and it was uh, pretty bad scene. I didn't really know what was going on. I ended up in the hospital for a week uh, at a mental institution. And from that point, for about two years, I was kind of stuck blaming myself, uh, blaming my illness on a lot of things as if now that I have this illness for the rest of my life, what am I going to do kind of thing. So instead of why not me, it was why me. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. And then that was for about two years. Uh, and then actually, truth be told, I had a second one uh, not too long ago at the beginning of the summer. I had a second episode. And funny story, my perspective changed. Uh, my perspective changed because I, I knew what was going on. And I had no concept of it. It's a big difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference when you, you know it's coming, you know the, the symptoms and everything like that, but you're able to control it a lot better. Because of that, I... I realize like, oh, now I'm not controlled by this illness or not controlled by things that I can't handle or I can't control on my own. So once I was able to understand that, then things got a lot better for me. Yeah. Bipolar is one that uh, gets a really bad rap for how the stigma is that's attached to it. And it really makes it difficult to talk because people hear the term bipolar and they automatically assume that's Jekyll and Hyde, some psychopath versus, you know, a, a nun. If they never realize that it's, it's actually talking about two different types of acting. Ways of living at any particular time. You can be manic where you are hyper motivated and you will do things at Mach 1 and you will take on things that you did not realize, you know, you could or that you shouldn't. You'll spend money. You'll go out of control to do things that are all pleasure seeking. And then you'll turn around and you'll hit that depressive mode and you'll, you'll lay. You're not hurting anybody. You're literally just going to hate yourself and just lay there almost as if you were felt bad for what you were manic over. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, that's exactly what I was going through. It's a, it's a cycle. It, it really is. And, you know, I'm glad that you decided to break that cycle or basically put a stick in the, the spoke of the bicycle tires and, you know, figure out what the hell is going on. So you, you find out that you're bipolar and you now know what a manic episode looks like or a depressive episode. It comes on, you've gotten through it, but now you know that it's going to be around for the, for the long haul. What does that say about your life now? Where does your path go knowing that you have this? Um, you know, nobody can predict the future, so I have no idea where my life's going to be years from now, but I like thinking a positive aspect. You know, I don't think having an illness like this is going to be uh, much to hinder uh, my life. It doesn't define you. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. It doesn't yeah. define you. Mental health diagnoses are more symptoms than they are actual issues that, you know, or a diagnosis, like say bipolar, ADHD, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be. I feel like those are not an actual condition. 
but that they are symptoms of a brain that's trapped in a false reality cage. And that's the only way that it can find its way out because we're not supposed to be doing the things that we're doing every day anyhow. Yeah, I, th- I think you said it almost perfectly because I mean, no person on this earth doesn't have anxiety at some point in their life. I find that hard to believe that people don't get anxious or stressed about things. And that's a, a normal symptom of something like bipolar disorder where that's an actual illness where you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yeah, you got no amygdala. Yeah. Yeah. You just got no amygdala, man. <laughs> that means you have no fear. Yeah, you just see th- you just see things differently, and you go through these cycles a lot more quickly or a lot more slowly than the average person that some people just flat out can't grasp. There's there's a, a young Ryan out there who's finding out that, you know, he's waking up and wondering why, you know, he spent so much money or he did all these things for so long. What was so intense about this? Why did he go on three dates? Why was he running around? You know, he stops and all his friends tell him, man, dude, you've been just ridiculous. What do you tell that young man so that he can get through it without being afraid of himself? Yeah, that's actually, you know, happened pretty recently in my second episode. You know, now that I'm under control or uh, I have a lot better grasp of it, I should say. You know, it's easier for me to manage the swings for the outside world. Like my friends, for example, it's difficult for them to understand. Uh, So a lot of times they tell me to halt, they tell me to stop, that I'm, you know, going crazy, doing all this stuff. When at the end of the day, that's just kind of how I function. Uh, I function a very high motor and I have to constantly check in on myself day in and day out on how I'm doing, you know how I'm feeling, why I'm doing things the way that I am and how to get out of those ruts or how to not get so high when I'm in. I'm not a therapist, but (laughs) I will say bipolar is addictive. Bipolar is an addictive mental condition because of the manic episode. Once you realize that you can focus it take it away from those negative stimuli and drop it on a task that you would want to complete, i.e. write a book or something like that, you can tend to start to use that manic capability to your own detriment almost. It seems like in the beginning that you're accomplishing more because of it. And this might be almost like you have like a, uh, a superpower, hyper-focus, this thing. And then at the end of it, You'll open it up and you'll read what you've done and you'll see that it is the incoherent ramblings of a madman. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. Uh, as far as the outside world will see it, they'll see it like a madman. And, you know, some of the smartest people in the world have the have bipolar illness and they've accomplished so much. Everybody's bipolar, man. We are, we're all something at different points in time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that bipolar will, you know, they'll tell you that's a spectrum. You can, at points in time, you will have OCD tendencies. You will have ADHD tendencies. You'll have all sorts of things because it runs a spectrum. Once you yeah. figure that out and then, hey, they'll, they'll throw something in. Some people are actually triggered by medications, foods, things like that. Imagine that. Not knowing that tacos are the reason you might run around for a, a week straight <laughs> manic. Yeah. That would fucking suck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's really hard to not want to utilize what is labeled as a disability or something like that and try to make it into something bigger and overinflate it to yourself to get rid of the quote unquote shame that might be locked inside of us. Does yeah, that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that with friends, you know, people that I've come across with bipolar. They, you know, they're like, well, if I'm manic and I did it, dude, I did it. I, I worked for Fortune 100 companies. I was killing it at times. And, and it's just not healthy. Not healthy. No, I thought it was at the time. At I, I think, yeah, I think leading up to my first episode while I was in college, I was, I was extremely manic because I was president of the fraternity at the time. And I had two, two jobs that were almost both full time and trying to juggle all that on top of school and relationships and everything else, your social life. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? I ended up in the hospital because <laughs> I over, I overworked myself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The fact of the matter is none of those tasks were required to live. Right. You're putting your mind into a spin, doing things that we think societally or, you know, some kind of preconceived cognitive bias that we have or whatever it is that says we have to perform a certain way. We're at college now, especially if you grew up without money or something like that, you tend to overreach with how much you want to prove yourself when you get into these situations. And what does it do? Stress induces bipolar, manic, and depressive episodes. Hey. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly, exactly what my trigger was. And I realized that's the first time that stress is the biggest, biggest factor when it comes to being both manic and depressed a lot of the time. Uh, it comes down to stress. So it's something I've had to juggle and how to manage very, very well. How do you manage stress? I'll be the first to say I'm a huge mental health advocate as this conversation has gone so far. I've been going to therapy regularly ever since my first one. And I'm a huge advocate that men, especially men and women, uh, but a lot of men, because men don't. Humans. Oh, humans. Yeah, yes. all, uh, humans uh, need all humans need therapy. All humans need therapy at the end of the day. I totally <laughs> agree. Doing actual professional therapy, but own personal therapy. Everybody has their own source of therapy, whether it's working out or uh, whatever it might be, journaling, listening to music, that kind of thing. I've, I've grown these tendencies and made sure to check mark them on a day-to-day basis to make sure that I'm doing things that I, that I enjoy that I'm not overworking myself. That's really the two big things, doing things that I love and just not getting so Mm. hung up, so strung up on them that I make myself romantic because I'm addicted to it. Like you mentioned earlier, we get wrapped up in the, in the diagnosis. We get wrapped up in, you know, what we're supposed to be at that point going forward. And we don't need to live a stigma. We don't need to wrap ourselves up in, you know, what everybody else thinks. You know, I pointed out a moment ago that none of this needed to be done to begin with. Right. And and that really does boil down to every single thing that humans are doing as a whole. Hey, academics. Have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at thetragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. Now, back to class. So you've divided your time. You want to do things that make you feel more fulfilled now. You're deciding that, hey, when I'm creative, this helps me internally, those types of things. And I would argue that those small activities that in their own individual right are mindful moments. Whenever we focus on something that is near and dear to us and we we do that individual task, we're actually practicing a form of mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that works on your stress? A hundred percent. It goes back to doing stuff that you love and uh, being self-aware of of what it is that, you know, you enjoy doing. What do you enjoy doing? 
my my love and passion will always be in sports, especially now being a coach, going from playing my entire life to being a football coach, uh, that transition from being a player to now coaching the players. That's something that I love. I love working out. I love reading. What about coaching a player? When within that is the reward? Where is it? Honestly, it's seeing them grow. Uh, I mean, I'm only 23 years old, so I'm not very far off uh, from high school kids that are 17, 18 years old. I was in their shoes. I'm the youngest on our current coaching staff, so I get to relate to the guys a lot, very well. Uh, it's just, you know, them asking me questions on how I got through college, you know, how I worked for ASU football, how I worked for Cardinals, you know, what Greek life was like. Just having them ask me questions outside of just football knowledge, I think that's awesome. I think it's a great development mm. as a man. It sounds like that football is an afterthought behind helping the younger generation navigate this uh, shitty system that we've created with <laughs> happiness. Does that sound a little closer? Yeah, that's almost 100% accurate. Sports are very important because they bring people together and they allow you to form a bond that you never would have. Um, they allow you to stretch yourself beyond your normal tendency to quit. The end of the day, it's the small individual successes that you have when you're, you know, working through sports, when you put yourself in a position to remember when I said earlier, it's mindful moments. Yeah. It works both ways because football is your mindful moment, right? Because that's what you're focusing on. But yeah. you and what you say will be their mindful moment. Yeah. So in that time, it is 100% the onus is on you or us in that situation to use that time wisely, to mm -hmm. make it constructive and to build our younger generation that way. 100%. We're, we're coaches, we're mentors, we're teachers, and we're leaders for these I guys. coached football for a little while for high school. I loved it. I loved yeah, it's it. It's awesome. It was Friday amazing. Nights are, the Friday nights are pretty amazing. You said your your mother suffered from bipolar. You inherited that later in life. I still feel like somewhere within the years before you discovered you were bipolar, that there's a struggle in there because you don't write a book, fuck it, why not me, because you discovered you were bipolar last year. Right, right. Um, there, there is a piece to the puzzle that's actually missing, but it comes with my mother that I didn't mention. My mother actually uh, is in the uh, not hospital, excuse me. She's actually in prison right now. Uh, and that mm. happened during my father's passing. Uh, my mom had an accident, ended up and got her sentence, ended up in prison for a little while and still there to this day. And then when my dad got sick, I had to take care of that myself, take care of him until his passing and then we lost the house. I had to sell the house completely on my own. So funeral service and everything. And mind you, my mother couldn't be there for any of this. Uh, so really quickly, I had to, to completely grow up. Uh, I went from what to me felt like 100 to zero. Like I felt like I had everything for me in college as a freshman, sophomore. Then I lost my mom. Uh, and then quickly after I lost my father. So it felt like I had nothing. Quickly, my friends in Arizona became my family essentially my second family. So they helped out a lot during that situation. But those two big events on top of discovering that I had my own mental illness put me at the lowest of lows. Like a lot of people say that it's hard for anybody to come back from that. And somehow, you know, with the sports system that I had, I was able to get through those events and those terrible shitty situations I was able to overcome. And after that, I was like, okay, now what? Uh, for me, it was kind of the mentality of sink or swim. Would you say that in order to get 
where you are now that you must be grateful for what those what you went through? As crazy as it might sound, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't... That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a hard pill to swallow, but once you get on the other side, because if you're truly happy now, then that means you have to be grateful for what you've been through. Because otherwise you have not gotten through it. It's still there. Yeah, it's a crazy concept to grasp. But without those things, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I wouldn't be as strong as I am today. I would still be that spoiled only child uh, growing up. And But having to grow up really quickly, having to make real life adult decisions while you're in college and quickly after college, it, it makes you see the world in a much bigger light and bigger perspective. It's an existential crisis. You know, when you get put on your knees into such a manner where you have no choice any longer, you either quit or move forward. And what people don't realize is that there isn't really a quit. What will happen is you'll just lay there forever, right? (laughs) But eventually you're going to realize you want to get up. You got to do something about the situation you're in. And once you realize that everything that you feel in life is a choice, once you realize that anxiety, depression, anger, sadness, those are just as much a choice as picking bacon or eggs. But nobody realizes this because if I told you I was going to control you and you were going to do what the I wanted you to do, what would you say? Hell no. No, fuck you. Right. But if I called you an asshole and you walked away mad, did I or did I not successfully accomplish controlling you? I own real estate in your head as you walk away mad forever. Until you see me again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're saying everything correctly. Yeah, you, everything's a choice, the way you perceive things, the way you react to things, the way you respond to things. Exactly. It's all about choices. It really is all about choices. There are right and wrong choices, obviously. There's the fatal, you know, errors or whatever. But you can make mistakes. You can fuck up royally. As long as you don't continually do the same fuck up, hey, that's insanity, you know, over and over again, expecting a different outcome. But see, what people don't realize is go into a cubicle every day, every day, expecting one day to be happy and go back and do what you really wanted to do is just as insane. And it will cause you to have a bipolar, manic, depressive episode or whatever else you want to, whatever anybody has at that moment in time. Yeah, <laughs> the the cubicle life, uh, that is something that I have a strong opinion about. I think I think things need to change with that whole thing. But being stuck in a cubicle, you're never going to be truly happy if you're stuck doing the same thing for a third of your life and you're stuck behind a desk in a cubicle working for somebody else. That's a hard pill to swallow uh, for people that have already passed a certain age and believe that they've missed their window of opportunity. Isn't it odd how we all continue to do it? Nobody's had, yeah, nothing has changed. Everybody will keep getting up and doing it. Why is that? It's comfortability. People are comfortable. Mm, They don't want to talk about it. Yeah, they They don't don't want to talk about it. it. They don't want to talk about what is this? Why are we here? What is death? What is religion? People don't want to talk about these things. That's why they're bottled up with all this energy and all these issues 
because we're all playing a giant game of chicken. Who's going to be the first one to go, hold the fuck up. Why? Why are we doing this? Hold on. Nobody wants to do that. They want you to go to college. They want you to get a degree. They want you to go to a job. They want you to follow these footsteps where you get the gold watch, the retirement, the 401k, and then you get a house and you stuff it full of shit for X amount of times. And the more shit you stuff in it, the more that people will envy you. You build up credit. Everything that you can't support from within yourself or make people love you for, make you try to put material items in its place to fill up the gap. It's fucking rat race, man. Everybody's chasing a job title and they're not cheaper salary. The fuck's a job money. title? The yeah, fuck is a job title? It's <laughs> just as arbitrary yeah. as saying any other fucking word. Uh, it's yeah. so stupid. But imagine if animals had job titles. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm a head duck. I, uh, yeah. I lead the pond, you know? No! Yeah. It, we make up the shit that we do, but that also means that we have the ability to unplug from it. We have yeah. the ability to not give it anything whatsoever in our life. And we can just not judge. That's actually the key. What people don't realize is we're actually judging something when we envy it. Oh, yeah. Right. We're judging something when we want it, when we have these weird tendencies to do small activities, we'll do the stupidest thing. Imagine I have big ears and then all throughout my life, every single picture I took, I would lean my head slightly forward and slightly to the right. Why? Because the angle of my ears wouldn't show up anymore. Yeah. 45 years old in your wedding photo. What are you still doing? Cocking your head, looking at the same thing, doing it. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier to just accept your fucking ears? Yeah. <laughs> you can tell that's all Instagram models out there. Exactly, dude. Exactly. That's why I love that you're taking the steps to recognize true potential. Entrepreneurship is amazing. And being a businessman and getting things accomplished are all amazing. But make sure that the goals and the things that are being accomplished are congruent with what you feel in your heart. Because you can make widgets all day long with an MBA and you can make widgets and get six-figure jobs, you know, and all these things. You can do that, but it's just as hollow as flipping a burger if you aren't happy. Right. Actually, if the guy flipping the burger loves cheeseburgers, he's happier. Yeah, his life's better than yours, yeah. (laughs) It's all relative. We're always chasing what other people have. That's the funny part. They keep us on on the hamster wheel because... We're always chasing the person in front of us. And they do it to the poor community too. We grow up, we don't have shit. And they tell us, oh, well, get that house. And I'll tell you inside that house is held together with fucking duct tape and strings and paper clips and all sorts of other shit. Inside yeah. of every Mercedes has got like no door panels. It's so fucked up. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Right? But we'll keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. You get through this. You have your mom. She's in prison now, you said for whatever, you know, duration of time. But what I don't hear is animosity with your mom. 
Nope, not at all. I, I speak to my mother every week. She calls, uh, she can call me. I can't call her, but I send her books. I send her whatever she might need. I send her money here and there so she can get her coffee every morning kind of thing. We did, don't get me wrong, we did have a lot of animosity. Even growing up, uh, because I didn't know she was bipolar, so you know, I would be the only spoiled mm. child. We would argue all the time. I didn't understand why kind of thing. Then I realized what it was, that we grew closer because of that. And her accident came. And for a long time, being in college, I thought she ripped the family apart. I thought I was going to have to transfer out of school and move back to Vegas and that my life was ruined because we were losing her income and she was going to leave. She was going to be gone for X amount of time. Uh, so there was a good portion where I had a ton of animosity towards my mother and I didn't mm. want to speak to her. I didn't want anything to do with her really. And then, uh, especially with dad leaving, really, it's just me and my mom now. And when, when her time comes to get out, uh, I'm going to have to be the one to take care of her. So I, I've matured in that sense where now it's, you know, I only get, my dad always told me, you only get one mother. So you have to make the best of it. So I speak very highly of my mother. Uh, she did make a mistake and she does have to pay her time for it. But I do believe in second chances and I think she deserves a second chance at life. You said that you were able to um, empathize with her once you had gone through the situation yourself. That puts you in a different frame of mind when you were uh, speaking with her or, or trying to wrap your head around whatever it is that took place that put her in prison. Yeah, I like to try to point out that experience is truly the only way to have 100% empathy. Yeah. Right, You're not going to empathize with anybody unless you've gone through it yourself. You cannot understand what somebody's gone through unless you've actually gone through it yourself. And I only point that out because imagine if, imagine if you didn't have a bipolar issue. Right. At, the, at this point now, it'd be hard to imagine that. Right. But think about that and your relationship with your mother. Yeah. I, I, th I think if that was the case, it would, it would have been e even easier to, or I wouldn't have had the animosity towards my mother. It would have been a lot easier to control my emotions because, you know, with, with bipolar disorder, my emotions kind of flare at times without knowing. Well, but. not just that. I think that having bipolar allowed you to see what her mind was like. And had yeah. you not had it, you may have never forgiven her. Yeah. There's a distinct possibility. I would have never made that connection, which is very true. Very true. Because my, my uncle doesn't. The reality is it's not her fault. Right. It's really not. 100%. Nobody asks for a mental illness, especially coming from her generation where it was still a stigma, still undiagnosed, or when it was diagnosed, it was still treated with kid gloves or the wrong pills or, you know, everything in between. It's a lose-lose battle. Yeah, you say that again. <laughs> but I think people can learn from you in that regard. It's really hard to help someone that's acting like an asshole. Right. And bipolar can make you act like an asshole at times. Uh, yep, but that's exactly why we need to have the conversation more about what it truly is. Kind of like an alcoholic. An alcoholic's yep. pulling his pants down, screaming and calling you a piece of crap. You don't want to shake his hand and take him to the doctor. I right. don't want to give him a hug, right? Nobody wants to give that guy a hug. He probably needs the hug more than anybody on the planet. We're, we're all thinking the same thoughts. Some of us just choose to be more vocal than others. And I'm really glad to see that my generation is one of the, one of the, what, like you said, carrying the torch of being open about it a lot more.
I think that you guys are are seeing it a little earlier. You're getting a better understanding. You're caring for each other. You're not bullying the way that bullying was in my generation. I, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate that you're tackling these hard topics and trying to help the younger generation. That's the ultimate goal. Do what you want to do and help change the world one day at a time. Absolutely. So where can everybody find you? Uh, You can find me on any social media platform at DRW Cooper. Thank you so much for coming in, Ryan. I, I can't thank you enough for your time, your candor. You should be proud of yourself and how you're handling your personal situation, your life, and the example that you're setting. I want to say thank you for having me on the show. It was a great honor. Love it, man. You're a great dude. All right, academics. Remember, be cool and keep learning. Hey, academics. Thanks again for attending another class at the Tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading, and rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or ask Amazon Alexa to play the Tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at thetragedyacademy.com. You can find us on all the majors of social media on Instagram at the Tragedy Academy 2019, on TikTok at the Tragedy Academy, and on Twitter at Tragedy underscore Academy, where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info, and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at thetragedyacademy.com. Keep an eye out on Instagram for Tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class. And remember, be cool, keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items, things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM. A team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their Graphic Tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink. They don't fade. 
and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the AM. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to thetragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.